Hello, and welcome to Wicked Wednesdays, your weekly podcast about sex, sexuality, and my experience in the amateur adult entertainment business. I'm still shooting remotely. I'm still in the Midwest somewhere at an undisclosed location. Who knows what's real anymore? Am I wearing pants? You don't know. This week, we're going to answer some listener questions. Um, had a really thoughtful set of questions sent in by a listener that will probably get separated out over more than one week. Um, she had asked some very in-depth questions that they're wide-ranging enough I don't think we can cover in one episode. In Wicked Ways news, I'm still battling with Pornhub a bit, trying to get our video reinstated, or figure out how we can change our video, re-edit our video, so that it won't get taken down again. I had mentioned last week that two of our videos had gotten taken down um, because the content was a bit too real and that continues to be a problem. So we uploaded a new video. It's a very much more tame video. Those aren't going to get as many views. Those don't do as well for us, but I know that it's safe. So for now, we're going to pull back on our content a little bit because I don't want to run the risk of having Pornhub shut down our channel altogether, which would be really bad. So that's that. This week, I wanted to talk a bit about marketing your content in social media. You don't have to do very much when you're on Pornhub itself because the Pornhub algorithms will show your video to people who are searching for like-minded videos. The tag cloud when you're uploading a video gives you, I think, 20 different tags you can use. And they truly help people narrow down and find your video. So if you do videos that feature Czechoslovakian women with big breasts in skirts and you put that in your tag cloud, people will see that because Pornhub will then post those videos alongside of other popular videos from that genre. You know, being very accurate with that tag cloud helps. Be sure to never have anything in your tag cloud that's not in your video because when people search for a particular thing, they find your video and that thing is not in your video. You don't want to get a lot of downvotes your approval rating, the like-dislike rating on your video affects how often it's featured, how much ad revenue you get from that video, etc. And just general people wanting to see it. So if I see a video that has a 50% rating, I probably won't even click on it. That means it's probably not a very well done video. And the higher the rating, generally, the better the quality of the video. Um, most of our stuff hangs out at about a 75%. It starts very high. You know, we usually get to a thousand to 10,000 views before people start downvoting it. Initially it's our fans looking at it. They like our stuff. And then it's people searching for the particular genre and kink that we make. They find our videos and they like it. But then once it starts getting to a larger audience, turns out about three fourths of the people like our stuff and a quarter don't. And that's very consistent across our videos. Almost every video we have that has gotten featured or has more than, say, a million views runs at about a 75% rating. And that's fine. That's, that's plenty good enough to continue to get good ad revenue and continue being featured and continue getting people's eyes on screen. You know, 75% is not bad. So aside from actually paying Pornhub for ad space, which you can do, that's, there's content partners that do that. Once you upload your video to Pornhub, they take care of advertising it on site. They will place it next to videos they think people will click on it by and keep eyes on screen. I'm going to talk a bit about getting your stuff seen by advertising on Instagram and Reddit and Twitter, which is the main places that we advertise. And when I say advertise, there's always a gray area. My Twitter account, that's pure advertising, right? I have a work-based Twitter account for the studio. And the only thing I post on there are channel updates, video updates. Pornhub automatically posts to that channel. They have Twitter integration as part of one of your options in the profile section. And you can choose what content gets pushed to Twitter, how often, etc. So I think I have ours set to three posts per day maximum. They post when we sell a video. They post when we upload a new video. I think that's it, actually. 
when we sell and when we post. Now, not every video we sell gets pushed to Twitter because I think of it from my viewer's perspective. You know, sometimes we'll sell 20 videos in a day. The few people we have on Twitter probably don't want to see 20 different posts about videos being sold. So I keep that to a minimum. I do try to use it for a little bit of behind the scenes. I post stuff there. You know, I'm, I'm not that great at Twitter and I'm not that good at keeping people's interest on a channel. I get some good interaction back and forth on Twitter, um, but I don't have a lot of followers there. I know that having a not safe for work account really presses down how much Twitter advertises our page to other people. So you know, I know, I think we have 600 maybe followers on Twitter, not a lot, but it's worth it to me to keep pushing that. Instagram is very interesting because when Facebook bought Instagram, they really kind of disnified it and really limited what kind of adult content you could have there. I had had a previous Instagram account, my personal account that had some, you know, kinky rope tying pictures, very artistic, you know, nothing explicit or flagrant. And that count went away. They immediately shut down all those pictures and all that. So for a long time, I didn't bother with Instagram because I figured we're a porn channel. How much good would an Instagram account do us? But what I found is we actually do have a good interaction and a good following on Instagram. I post pictures of the models that are very safe for work. I post updates there just kind of about what's going on with the studio and my life in general little behind the scenes stuff. I have more interaction and more luck on Instagram than I do on Twitter, which I didn't really expect. So it's worth it to me to have a file of pictures of all the models and the poses can be sexy and they can be fun and flirty, but nothing explicit. And so we, we definitely toe the line on keeping things clean enough for Instagram on our Instagram account. But I do get a lot of interaction there. And almost every day I get a few more followers and subscribers using those tag clouds effectively, you know, figuring out what it is about your picture that will appeal to the largest group of people, tagging it as such. And then, you know, that tag cloud gets put in front of more eyeballs. That's all that it takes there. So behind the scenes stuff is very popular. If you can show a little bit about daily life in real life, that makes your porn videos more exciting, more erotic to a lot of people. They like to see that behind the scenes action and it doesn't cost you a lot of time. So I can definitely recommend having an Instagram account, posting stuff there that is work safe, posting stuff there that people can't see anywhere else, that exclusive content to draw them in and keep them as fans. It's a good place for interaction. A lot of people feel comfortable writing me on Instagram and on Twitter that apparently maybe they don't have a Pornhub account. So they write me on Instagram and Twitter or for whatever reason, you know, Pornhub is just as anonymous as, as that. In fact, more so when it comes to Instagram and Twitter, but I do get more individual correspondence on those two platforms. But the place that we do our primary advertising is Reddit, which is difficult because the philosophy behind Reddit is everything should be free. And not only should everything be free, but you should never post stuff to Reddit that you have made. You know, if you're an artist, you're not supposed to post your paintings to Reddit. I understand that. I get it. I, I like the idea of a place where, you know, it's like, Hey, look what I found on the internet that I think you all might find interesting. And when you allow for self-promotion, you get a lot of self-promotion. The funny thing about Reddit is that it has a very Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde aspect in that the, the public facing side of Reddit is very much, you know, don't ever post anything you created on this site. Okay. The other side of Reddit, which is the more adult side, the more pornography based side is only post stuff that you have created. And there's a lot of individual subreddits that, you know, really insist on it being you. So, you know, there is a dichotomy there. You do have to figure out what people want to see, you know, not abuse the subreddits that, that cater to what you make. There are certain subreddits that are very anti-commercial and that's where it gets a bit interesting because again, that goes back to the, everything should be free 
we never post anything on Reddit that people have to pay for, right? We have a lot of free content. And yeah, we are a commercial site in that, you know, this is what I do for a living. I'm a professional pornographer, but I never post something to Reddit where when you click on it, you then have to pay to see it, right? We post pictures and GIFs a lot, and those are free. If, if you like the pictures and the GIFs, you don't have to click on our channel to see more. They're right there. It's free. But we still get a lot of blowback. We still get a lot of people that are upset because we're a commercial account posting on, you know, the glorious freedom that is Reddit, that everything should be free and nobody should charge for anything. It's kind of silly, especially on the sites that want you to verify and prove that you are yourself uploading your own pictures. They will often then have a disclaimer, you know, if you have any commercial content anywhere on Reddit, you know, we're going to take down your stuff. I don't get it. I don't really understand it. You know, we do use it for advertising. We do put stuff on Reddit to get seen by a lot of eyeballs. So, you know, whenever we post a video, I will make a couple gifts that show really what the video is about, you know, little one minute long trailers for the video. And I post those to various subreddits that I know really cater to that niche. You know, it doesn't cost anything. The gifts are free. So it's just like any other gift that's uploaded to Reddit. I will post, you know, say it's a face fucking video and that's a very popular subreddit. I'll post a gif of what we made and there it is for free. And it'll have a link in the comments that takes you to our page where you can then see the video, the free video, mind you. I never post for sale content there. For me, I feel like I'm definitely respecting the spirit of the law, if not necessarily the letter of the law there. I'm never asking someone to pay to see the content. It's there for free. And we generate a lot of content, but that's what people want, right? You can only ask people to do so much for free because there is time involved. There is, you know, for us to make a video, it's not as simple as grabbing a selfie off the bathroom mirror. And so when we make a video, we are producing content. That content is available for free on our website. You know, we get paid through the ad revenue mostly. So if I post a GIF to a subreddit and someone likes that GIF, they want to see the video. The link is right there in the comments. They want to see that video. The video is free. They can watch that video for free. I'm again, never asking someone to pay to see anything we post on Reddit. That said, man, we've gotten banned from probably 10 or 12 different subreddits that, you know, see that we make commercial stuff and they ban us from posting there. I get it. You know, it's, it's their website. They can make the rules and it doesn't matter if the rules don't make sense. It doesn't matter if I agree with the rules. I do try to not spam, you know, posting the same thing to 20 different subreddits. So it shows up in a lot of people's feed that gets annoying. I understand that. I try to keep it, you know, well within the rules of whatever subreddits we're posting on. Um, issues on Reddit. It's, you know, as I said, it's not very commercial friendly. I get that. There's a lot of eyeballs there. You know, there's a lot of the subs that we post to have a million subscribers. You know, obviously a million people we post there, but a couple hundred thousand will. And of those couple hundred thousand, maybe a thousand go to our site. So is it worth it? Yeah. I mean, it does not take a lot. I'm going to make those gifts for promotional purposes, no matter what, because they go on our own personal subreddit where we can put whatever we want up. All of the models have an individual personal subreddit. Um, I will have the links for that available. So we post there all the time. And, you know, on your own subreddit, you make your own rules so you can do whatever you want. And those are, you know, purely commercial for us. We post every video the model makes, updates about the model, pictures of the model, sometimes little notes and letters from the model. But it's clearly, it's clearly commercial and that's, that's fine. On Reddit, you don't always run into the very best of humanity. And that's just something you have to deal with on the internet. Unlike on Pornhub, last week I talked about how I get rid of bad Pornhub comments. And I have the power to do that. Well, on Reddit, if I'm posting on a subreddit, anybody in the world is free to comment on that. And unless I own the Reddit, I can't remove those comments. So when you put your stuff out there on Reddit, you know, be aware that you might get a lot of negative commentary, a lot of very, a lot of personal attacks. Just like anything in porn, 
once you start putting stuff out there and people have a way of contacting you directly, they will, especially if you're female in the porn business. Since I handle all of the correspondence and since people don't always stop to check that, you know, who am I writing to? I get a lot of mail directed at me from Reddit of the person writing, thinking that I'm the female in the video. Even though my name is Very Wicked Fellow, they think they're writing directly to the model in question. If it is complimentary, if it is nice, if it is friendly, I do pass that stuff along to the model. It's pretty rare on Reddit that that happens. On Reddit, there's a whole lot of really awful behavior, a lot of very abusive behavior, and I just block that stuff, delete it, get rid of it. There was a time um, when I was not as wise, when I would, you know, fire back at people on Reddit that left bad comments or that directly emailed me and had bad things to say. I have learned that it's just not worth it. It's truly not worth it to engage with anybody being negative on a subreddit or on Reddit or pretty much anywhere because that is exactly the response that they're hoping for. You know, people that are caustic online, the trolls, the bullies, the not great examples of humanity out there, the only joy they're going to get out of leaving a comment that disparages somebody online is getting that person's reaction. And they thrive on that. They love it. It makes them so very happy when you write back and say, hey, you know, that wasn't very nice. So, yeah, there was a time when I would fire back and... It felt good in the moment, but it never did me any good on the site. So these days, I just ignore it. I don't even bother. We get a lot of negative commentary. I just yeah, let it go. It's not worth it to respond. You know, positive commentary? Absolutely. That is worth, you know, taking a few minutes to say thank you, taking a few minutes to, you know, respond to that positive comment. Because in kind of the same way, people that are nice online, the only thing they get out of it is a nice response. And so that is a behavior I want to encourage. That's a behavior I'll respond to. So yeah, you do have to toe the line. Make sure you're actually contributing to the community is the way I look at it. You know, for whatever subreddit we're posting on, is this content that really fits in the subreddit? Yes. Is this content that makes the subreddit better? Yes. Is this good content? You know, if, if it passes those rules, then I don't have any problem posting our commercial stuff to various subreddits. If we post stuff to a subreddit and it gets a lot of bad reviews or it gets downvoted a lot or it gets a lot of flack, you know, I take that seriously and I figure out, okay, what is it about what we're doing that they don't like um, and change it or stop posting to that subreddit. I'm not going to bully my way in and say, here, look at my advertising material. That's the ways that I've been promoting. So yeah, I don't do a whole lot of advertising outside of Pornhub, but I can see when I do post to subreddits and when I post to Instagram and Twitter, I do see a bump in the views based on that video. So when we promote a video, it gets more views than if we don't promote a video. Therefore, it's worth it. Even if it's only a few tens of thousands, because a lot of times, that 10,000 views has knock-on effects of, oh, I like their stuff. Let me check out their channel. Let me subscribe. Let me maybe buy one of their videos. And so it's just part of the routine for me. Every time we upload a video, I do make a couple gifts and I do post them as advertising to help get the word out there. If you know of other ways to effectively advertise online for what we're doing, you know, leave me a comment, send me a message and let me know about it because this isn't an area I have a whole lot of experience with and I'm sure that I'm not using advertising to its fullest potential. You know, free advertising, the way that anybody can use social media to leverage their brand and get the word out there. I'm not Michael and this is not Vsauce. That has been a comment on almost every one of my uh, vlog posts here. I get it, you know, bald, beard, glasses, white guy. Uh, that's about it. I, I get it. It's funny. Um, I like his stuff. I actually watch him. So it was not a surprise to me when I started seeing that comment a lot. But yeah, no, 
Maybe we could do a crossover episode, though. I know he's been talking a lot about psychology and human interactions, etc. So, Michael from Vsauce, if you're interested in doing a um, more adult-themed crossover and you think that your audience can tell the difference between us, you being so ruggedly handsome after all, um, hook me up. I'd be happy to do that. I was almost done with this week, and I remembered I hadn't really done anything from comments in the mailbag, which from the response I've gotten is some of y'all's favorite part. So let's look at our mailbag, shall we? Uh, trans boy writes, why it looked like he only got one ball in some parts. Uh, that happens. You'll see that a lot in porn and my porn in general, you know, things shift around. Um, you can actually lose a testicle up into your abdominal cavity, depending on what position you're in. Sometimes it's very easy for that to then pop back out. Sometimes it's not. If you're a gentleman and you find yourself missing a testicle on occasion, it's probably, you know, just above your pubic bone, feel around in your lower abdomen and just kind of push. You'll be all right. So yeah, they're both there. Don't worry. I'm going to skip that one. I don't have much I can say about that one. Rose Enraged writes, Someone once asked me why I like old-ass white men. This. This is why. Thank you. Yeah, we... Uh, I think a lot of guys, uh, not just white guys, but as you get older, you tend to become a better partner. It's just you learn to become more considerate. You learn to become a little less selfish and... The more you get into your partner, you find the more they're into you. So yeah, hats off to all the old white guys out there. Hip Hopopotamus comments, Oh, glorious day, which I think is a Mad Max reference. Mighty V8. Mediocre. Account 4815. Thank you for the podcast. Have you considered running it as a separate side project? Anyway, I have a few questions for you, and I hope you'll answer. When you are not having sex with your models, partners, and interact with them throughout life, do you still have some kind of master-slash-submissive dynamic? Is it possible, and how common, to have a master-slash-submissive relationship in sex, but reverse roles or equality in real life? Or will the submissive always manifest his or her submissiveness in non-sex life? So this actually will key into what I'm going to talk to later on. But just to go over what's going on with me and my models, some of the models I film with, I have a real life relationship with, as in we're partners in real life. Some of the models I have and other models I film with, um, we have a working relationship, but we don't have a romantic personal relationship with. Uh, Ruby's a good example. Uh, Ruby and I are friends, but we don't have a romantic relationship outside of filming. So in the videos that I do with her, yeah, she's in the submissive role. Now, in real life, Ruby is also naturally submissive. She's one of those submissive people that chooses her submission very carefully. If you met her in day-to-day -day life, I don't think you would believe she was very submissive. She's very assertive, very straightforward, very confident. Um, she's very capable and accomplished. And she doesn't necessarily come across as a very submissive person. But in the right circumstance, you know, in the right agreed power exchange circumstance, she enjoys very much being a submissive. And so, yeah, um, how do you go back and forth? So like any relationship, especially a BDSM relationship, there's a bit of negotiation, right? We may decide, you know, we are always going to be dominant submissive and there's never going to be a time where we are peer to peer. Or it can be, hey, for this session, I'm going to be submissive to you. When the session is over, I'm not going to be submissive to you. And that's, you know, a lot of people have that personality. Um, you know, will a submissive person or a dominant person always manifest that in their day-to-day -day life? To an extent, I think so. But you would be surprised. Um, a lot of my partners throughout my life have been very strong, capable, independent, assertive women who in their day-to-day -day life are, you know, they have jobs where they have to be very assertive and very, um, 
dominant even, very type A. But they enjoy being in a situation where they can choose to not be that way, where they can choose to be submissive with someone they respect and trust. You know, these are people who would never be submissive in their day-to-day lives. Their profession or just their nature doesn't allow them to be submissive. They have to be very driven and very type A. But in certain contexts, they enjoy it and they find it very stimulating and relaxing and a release to let go and let someone else make all the decisions in a very, you know, extreme submissive way. Um, they find that very gratifying and very fulfilling, but day to day, you would think that they are very driven type a, you know, very competitive, hardcore personalities. So yeah, it's not that uncommon for someone to have two sides to their personality. Other people are very, you know, they're naturally submissive and you know that as soon as you meet them, they come across as submissive and it's no surprise that in a DS situation or in the bedroom, they are also submissive and that's fine. Dominant people are the same way. I have met very dominant people who in day-to-day life are super dominant, but they like letting go of that control and being submissive. I've also met super dominant people who are always that way. They just... It's baked into who they are, dyed in the wool dominance, and it doesn't matter what situation they're in, they're going to be dominant. So yeah, the answer to that question is it, it takes all kinds. With me, you know, I tend to be working with submissive people. How much they manifest that in their day-to-day life is very individual. Um, yeah, people are fascinating, fascinating creatures. Morty Smith Jr. writes, You don't need a condom as protection, you need a Bible. Okay. I think that was in response to the fact that some people think that this is an exorcism rather than a porn video. Cujo writes, dude got a fat ass. Sure do. Okay. That wraps up the mailbag for this week. We had a lot of good comments. Um, some of them were quite funny. There was a recipe for the 11 secret herbs and spices in KFC, which thank you. It's a good recipe. We had some uh, of the standard comments that we get every week. Uh, Yeah, I I get it. That's the way that we make porn. A couple people said, you know, this is way too much for me, bruh. I I get that. Um, They made that comment on one of our more sedate videos, so be careful out there. Comments like that I don't see as negative in any way. Like if you watch our video and you don't like it and you comment, I didn't like this video or this video was too rough for me or whatever, that's, that's fine. I actually appreciate that feedback we're going to keep making these videos but you know as long as you're not being abusive in our comments if you're not being an asshole then i will definitely leave the comments up um but for the most part our videos have been getting a lot of really great comments a lot of very laudatory very encouraging and complimentary comments so i i appreciate that I do try to respond. Um, I cannot respond to every single comment we get. We get hundreds every day. So I try to pick out the ones that I think are funny or that I really appreciate, and I make a note next to those. Um, Remember to subscribe to us, if you like our stuff especially. But if you subscribe, I can write back to you. I can enter you in the little drawings that we do. Um, every week I pick out a comment that I think is the comment of the week, whether it's very funny or just a very good point. Um, that person gets a free premium video. They get a coupon for a free premium video, but you can't get that if you're not a subscriber. So subscribe. I've already passed my 50,000 subscriber mark, so I'm no longer shilling for subscribers. I don't think you get anything for a hundred thousand, but if so, great. Because of Corona, it's going to be a long time until I get my fancy Pornhub Letterman jacket. But they did send me a note saying, congratulations, you got 50,000 subscribers. Due to Corona lockdown, we will not be shipping your jacket for who knows how long. Oh, well, that's just a little bit of bad luck on my part. Um, So without further ado, I want to get into the um, main gist of this week, which is talking about aftercare and how doms can be responsible and responsive to subs coming out of subspace. Uh, Today's episode brought to you by A Devil in Mexico, which is a really good cocktail I might even include the recipe for. First up, 
This is the long list of questions that I mentioned earlier in the podcast. Um, and this person has asked that they remain anonymous, which I'll respect. And they ask a bunch of really good, very pertinent questions to what I've been talking about on the podcast and things that I want to explore on the podcast. So I'm going to start and we'll probably break up their questions into more than one episode. And I'll have my models come in and talk about it as well. It says, hello, Wicked. I have especially liked your podcast series of late. I have always been a submissive, but was ashamed of it for a long time. That shame was further exacerbated when I suffered from a panic attack after a scene with an inexperienced Dom. He didn't know about aftercare. Yeah. Um, well, so two things. One, I did have a whole podcast where I talked about how we tend to shame people for being submissive which is ridiculous and silly. It's part of human nature. You know, there are more submissive people than dominant people, and there's nothing wrong with being submissive. It's a good quality. It's something that is absolutely necessary in the world and in relationships. And if you are a submissive person and you're constantly battling against your own nature and trying to be dominant or trying to be type A, and that's just not who you are, you're going to be very unhappy. And I know that our culture really sends out that message that, you know, if you're not type A, you're nothing, you know, second place is the first loser. And I, I don't agree with that. I think it's harmful and I think it's really bad. So, you know, if you're a submissive person, I have the utmost respect for you. And I hate that our society pushes such a negative viewpoint on submissives because submissives are amazing. So anyway, um, talking about having a panic attack in a scene. Yeah, that's absolutely a danger. Um, when you're doing scenes, we are often pushing the boundaries of physical endurance and the mental side of that can be every bit as intense as the physical side in a, you know, really heavy, intense BDSM scene as a Dom, you need to be very cognizant and very aware of the mental state of your submissive. And if you have pushed them into a very intense, you know, space, into a very intense mindset, you can't just drop them and walk away. You know, that we've talked about the importance of aftercare, and this question is going to ask more about that. Aftercare is not an option. Aftercare doesn't have to be elaborate. It doesn't have to be a ritual necessarily. But that post scene period, you know, from the time that the scene ends until the sub is fully back to normal. It's a very sensitive and very, you know, important time for the Dom to be aware and for the Dom to usher the sub out of subspace and into a normal headspace. So she says, the shame was further exacerbated when I suffered a panic attack after a scene with an inexperienced Dom who didn't know about aftercare. Yeah, I, I can see that happening. I have definitely seen you know, in public scenes um, submissives not getting proper aftercare and really breaking down, really having you know either panic attacks or really bad crying jags, etc. There's nothing wrong with crying in a scene. I'm not saying that that's necessarily a sign of a bad scene. Um, but a panic attack would be a sign of a bad scene sub that didn't feel like they were ushered calmly out of subspace and back into a normal, calm, centered headspace. That's dangerous. And that can leave a very bad taste in someone's mouth. And it's not being a good Dom, you know, being a good Dom is not just having a really intense, exciting scene. It's caring for the sub after the scene, aftercare. It's essential. She says, I have since learned about aftercare, but would really like to hear from you and your partners what their experience have been in sub drop and how subs can make sure that doms take care of them and how subs can take care of themselves. I mean, again, you know, it's a great question. Aftercare for me will vary based on the sub, based on the scene, based on so many individual factors that I cannot give you a step-by-step, -step, you know, here's 10 steps to good aftercare. 
it's going to be very much dependent on the scene and the sub. You know, sometimes a scene doesn't get really heavy. It's very playful. It's very light. And so aftercare may be simply, you know, checking on the sub, making sure they're okay, and then shifting into a normal, you know, everyday vanilla lifestyle, right? It doesn't have to be an elaborate thing. Sometimes you'll be surprised as a dom. Sometimes you'll be having a scene you don't necessarily think is very intense. And it turns out that the sub is taking it, you know, much harder or much more seriously. Perhaps there's something going on in their life that this scene just unlocked or this scene allowed them to access or this scene was the little trigger that pushed them over into a huge, you know, crying jag and depressive episode. You have to be prepared for that as a dom. So at the end of a scene, you know, as you're taking the restraints off, if you're using restraints, as you are, you know, sitting down and calming down and bringing the sub out of subspace into a normal headspace, you have to be aware and you have to take as long as necessary. You can't rush it. You can't hurry someone through it. You can't, you know, be standing there snapping your fingers, expecting them to just snap out of it. Uh, what do we mean when we say subspace? I'm not a sub. I'm very dominant. I've seen a lot of different styles of subspace. And I think I will leave it to my subs to try and let them describe it. But from my perspective, subspace is an altered state of mind where the sub is able to let go of common day-to-day -day cares and concerns and exist in a mindset space where they have no control, they have no responsibility, and it's almost like floating, as it's been described to me. It can be very intense in that sometimes subs will almost seem drunk or like they're on some sort of mind-altering substance. I've definitely seen that in my own subs. They can seem very sleepy and hazy. They can seem very blissed out. They can seem very, you know, I've had subs that wouldn't respond to their own name when they were deep in subspace. There's different ways to get to subspace. Some subs, you know, as soon as they kneel down and as soon as they start the play, you can see them starting to drop into that safe, comfortable, warm subspace where they let go of all of their day-to-day -day concerns, where they let go of all independent action and thought and direction, and they are there to obey and listen and serve. And it's a good, healthy, safe, warm, happy place for them. Sometimes subs have a much harder time accessing subspace. They have to be kind of driven there by intense physical stimulation. They have to be, you know, almost forced into a place of no mind where you don't give them the option to think about what bills are due. You occupy so much of their attention with the stimulation or the DS play that you're doing that now they're in a subspace because they don't have a choice because they don't have time to think about the insurance being due because right now their mind is entirely occupied with the stimulation that you're giving them. Um, I would say that subspace is as unique as subs are. Subs are going to experience it differently. Subs are going to respond to it differently and subs are going to come out of it differently. And it's incredibly important to understand, you know, is my sub in a subspace? How are they going to transition out of that back to the real world? Because usually, you know, going from a place where you feel warm and happy and safe and secure and all of your needs are taken care of, all of your thoughts are good into, you know, reality where we're in lockdown and bills are due and maybe I have dependents that need me, I have responsibilities, etc. It's usually not pleasant coming out of something great into something normal. But that transition can be eased and made more comfortable by a dom who takes the time to, you know, an example of what I often do during subspace is simply sit next to the sub, stroke their hair, 
talk to them quietly and gently about the scene we just did, for example. This is a great place to have that discussion, to talk about things that went well, to talk about, you know, concerns you might have, to talk about, you know, open the door so that they can express how they're feeling if they're verbal. I've definitely had subs that were nonverbal coming out of subspace. Soft, soothing, reassuring words in that transition period between a heavy BDSM scene and normal life. That's kind of the essence of, of aftercare to me. Often, after an intense physical or mental or both BDSM scene, the sub will fall asleep in that transition process. You know, that's a very natural thing. I've had this very heightened experience. My heart rate was really high. My brain was firing, you know, extraordinarily rapidly. And now everything is still and peaceful and calm and quiet and dark, probably. And now I might just drift off to sleep. That's ideal, you know. An ideal way of ending a BDSM scene is drifting off into a sleep taking a little nap. During that time, you know, I don't often just sit there you know, sentinel the entire time, but I'll make sure that I'm not far because if the sub wakes up from that sleep and they're distressed, you want to be close. But more often than not, if a sub falls into sleep, that's fine. Let them sleep, you know, be available, try to be close by so that when they wake up, you can continue the aftercare the rest of the way up, or you can just be there to receive them when they wake up. You know, sleep is good. I, I encourage sleep as aftercare. But say it's a normal day, you've had a two hour long scene, um, the sub is still in restraints, you know, they're breathing hard, they seem like they're in a good mental state. Five minutes ago, they were under intense stimulation. And now they're going to have the restraints removed and the stimulation is going to end and we're going to transition back into a normal relationship. That has to happen in a controlled, smooth, easy, confident manner by the Dom. Just walking away, just saying, okay, we're done here and walking out. That's not good Dom behavior. You know, I can't think of a situation where that is necessarily going to be good for the sub. And it's it's irresponsible of the Dom, I believe. I think that ending a scene, all scenes have to end, making sure the sub knows the scene is over, you know, simply stating this scene is over now, bringing them back to normal, you know, asking them, how do you feel? Does anything hurt? Is there anything we need to attend to? Do you need to lie down? Do you need water? You know, simple questions. A lot of those questions after a BDSM scene are going to be yes. You know, yes, I need to use the bathroom. Yes, I need to lay down for a bit. Yes, I would like some water. You know, that's normal. You should be prepared for that. You know, she asked about how subs can make sure they take care of themselves. I spoke a bit about personal responsibility in the episode about submissiveness. Ideally the sub should rely on the dom to take care of them in an aftercare situation, right? That's a dom's job. However, I started working with a sub last year and on our first session, she showed up with a little aftercare kit, which I thought was brilliant. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. And that kit had, you know, some tea that she likes, you know, ready-made. All it had to be do is warmed up. She had, you know, things that were comforting to her in that kit. She had her headphones, you know, so that she could listen to music and kind of relax after the scene. It was a, a kit that she had designed and put together specifically for the aftercare session. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as your dom allows that of you, you know, if you're a submissive, when you're working with a dominant as a submissive, there's always a negotiation, Right. And you should certainly say, is it okay if I have a kit, an aftercare kit? I believe most doms would probably respond positively to that. However, if your dom has another idea for you or another plan for aftercare, you know, you will have to negotiate that. 
and you always have the right to say, no, I don't want to do that. And the Dom also has the right to say, that's fine. I don't want to, you know, have this scene because I don't want you to feel like you're directing it. I, I understand that. I think that there can certainly be a conversation ahead of time. Um, just making sure that the sub is respectful of their request. Because again, we're playing DS, we're playing power exchange. When you play power exchange, you have to exchange power, right? So it's, it's not out of the question for a Dom to say, no, I don't want you to bring an aftercare kit. I have something planned for you. I will take care of that. That's fine. As long as you agree to it. But it's also fine for a sub to say, hey, I have made an aftercare kit. Do you mind if I bring it to the session? You know, the Dom might say, sure, that sounds good. I'm, I'm happy to work with you on that. That's part of the negotiation that happens prior to a scene happening. Things that subs can do to make sure they take care of themselves. Communication, right? Communication is key. If you've had previous bad experience coming out of subspace, that's something you should tell your dom that you're working with, right? That's, that seems you can't expect doms to see the future or be mind readers. If you know that you have trouble coming out of aftercare, tell your dom. Say, hey, you know, in the last few sessions I've had, I've had really bad experiences coming out of the scene. Sometimes I have a panic attack. Sometimes I break down with a crying jag. So I just want you to know coming out of the scene, I really need aftercare and aftercare for me means this, right? I definitely understand the problem of subs trying to run the scene from the subservient position, you know, often called topping from below. I get that. I think a good Dom, a confident Dom, a secure Dom will have no trouble working with their sub without feeling like their sub is trying to run the show. A good Dom can say, okay, I understand you. I know that you need aftercare. I know that this is what you like in aftercare. I can accommodate that, but you do have to understand that I'm going to be in charge of this situation, right? A good Dom should be able to handle that without too much difficulty. A good Dom should also be aware that with an inexperienced sub, a sub that doesn't know what's going to happen, a sub that's unaware of what they're going to be like coming out of subspace, they're going to have to make it up on the fly and be aware and be prepared for anything. Maybe the person falls asleep. Easy. Maybe the person comes out of the scene and just completely falls apart and breaks down. You know, what's your game plan as a Dom when that happens? Are you going you know, to just walk out of the room and shut the door? That's probably not a good game plan. Are you able to handle your sub emotionally and in the extremis of their emotionality? They could have a really bad reaction to the scene. That happens sometimes, even with subs you've worked with before. Be prepared. Be aware. Be able to make the transition from we're making a scene to, okay, now I'm taking care of a human being who's in an extreme situation and I need to be steady and calm and relaxed and capable to help them back to reality. So how can subs take care of themselves? You know, communicate, make sure your Dom knows what to expect of you. If you know what to expect of you, if aftercare is something that's very important to you and something that, you know, the lack of aftercare would be very hard for you or very serious for you, you make sure that you have that discussion ahead of time. When you're talking about boundaries, when you're talking about things that are okay and not okay, which every DS relationship needs that conversation. Everyone. There's no rhyme or reason behind, you know, oh, we don't have those conversations. You know, we don't need those my dom knows everything about me. I can trust them with everything. Sure. Yeah, that's that's a good relationship to have. And I feel like I have that relationship with my subs. We still had the limits conversation. We still sat down and did an inventory of things that they're okay with, things they're curious about, things they're not okay with. And we run a pretty serious, you know, DS relationship where our goal is always towards absolute submissiveness, absolute dominance, so that at the ultimate level of that relationship, 
yeah, there wouldn't be a list of things that were no go, but you don't start there, right? That's what you're going for. That may be the ultimate goal of a dom sub relationship where you don't need to have a list of things you don't want to do or can't do or won't do that your dom knows you well enough to know exactly how far they can push you and what isn't acceptable, but you don't start there. You start with a list. Make sure that you make your needs known at the beginning. That's the foundation of a healthy DS relationship. So if aftercare is very important to you and aftercare is very necessary for you to feel okay after a scene, that needs to be discussed before you start the scene. That's how subs can take care of themselves. Doms, be aware of it, that aftercare isn't one size fits all, that it's something that you will have to tailor individually to each sub and each session for each sub. You may have a ritual. That ritual will not always apply. It won't always work. It won't always be what's good for the scene. So be able to shift on the fly. You know, if your ritual is, oh, we take a bath afterwards and then I play soft music and I light some candles. Great. And if that feels good for your sub, awesome. But that's not going to work every time for every sub. You have to find what that sub needs in the moment. Okay. We talked quite a bit about that in aftercare and we're going to continue that conversation um, when I do some kind of one-on-one -on -one interviews with my subs and my partners. We're going to talk about aftercare. We're going to talk about the BDSM relationship. We're going to talk about switching roles. That's another part of her question is she wants to know how, you know, one day someone can be super submissive and then turn around and go to work on Monday and maybe they're the boss, maybe they're the person in charge and how they make that transition. And that's a very interesting conversation to have. And I'm looking forward to having that on a future episode. Until then, you know, stay safe, practice safe, consensual BDSM, have lots of fun with it, push that envelope, but don't break it. And I will see you next week. <laughs>